Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at want to go to a church where Jesus doesn't show up. Hallelujah. I'm going to start totally different. You get something free. Welcome to third service. I'm going to start totally different. Um, my family would know this journey. A lot of my friends don't. I, I constantly have friends that would know this, but I went through 15 years of being blind legally blind. When I moved here, I hadn't seen in seven years. Um, I could see five feet away. Um, glasses didn't help. I had keratoconus. My corneas were deformed. And um, you know how God takes things in your life that the enemy meant for evil, but he turns them around for good? God literally used it as a miracle for me. I'll tell you a couple. I can't tell you all of them, but it was literally a miracle for me. Because I had to drop out of college. I was a good student. I was going to Portland State for music. I had a trajectory. I actually had changed my major to political science. And I was going to be a lawyer and defend unborn babies. That was my goal. Yeah. I changed my major. I was a political science major at Portland State. And I was getting on a bus, about to go to class. And I literally watched my eyesight come towards me until I couldn't see. I rubbed my eyes. I thought I got something in my eyes. I couldn't see. So I stumbled back home. I called the university physician. I got an appointment. I went in to see an eye doctor, and it was one of those doctors that's teaching other students. So there's other students in the room, and they are ooing and aahing over my eyes, but they're not telling me anything. And I'm like, talk to me. What's going on? I can't see. And the doctor said, son, I, I don't know what to say, but I know what's wrong with your eyes, but there's nothing I can do. He described the condition. He described that it starts when you're 18. I was 18. It proceeds till you're 35, and there's nothing that doctors at that point could do. And I had to drop out of school. I couldn't read sheet music. I was a musician. I was taking composition, and all of my dreams seemed to be, like, done. I moved back home with my mom. I was desperate. And... Um, I could see just enough to take a job, and literally my job was dumping garbage for beaver coaches. And I would dump garbage, going, God, what happened? But you know what? I don't understand this, but I kept believing. I just, I'd been in his presence, and I knew he was good. And I just kept believing, so I'm like, Okay, I'll pray that everybody in Beaver Coaches gets saved. There's 150 employees, and I, I got a list of all their names, and I begin to highlight them and say, God, save Dave, Lord. Save Mike, God. Save Susan, God. And I just carried on. My garbage dumping led to an entry level with cabinets. I had built cabinets before, so I had a little bit of skill, and so I built some cabinets, and then that led to another job, and all of a sudden I found myself as the 
main cabinet builder for Beaver Coaches. Like I was doing the most complex cabinets and I could see it right here so I could work with it. And the thing was finally coming back together and I had a good job and a good pay. And then one day, even just two feet away, I'm putting a board through the saw and I saw multiple hands and multiple boards and multiple blades and I didn't want to take my thumb off. I'm a piano player. And I'm like, I got to let go. And I let go and it hit me and knocked me out on the ground. And I'm laying on the ground going, and now this job too, God? So I did what I know to do. Went home to my little house on the Deschutes River. I got on my piano and I worshiped. I said, I don't know, God, but you know. You got it. And I was sitting at my dining room table with my Bible open and there was a newsletter from Beaver Coaches sitting on the table they came like this monthly employee letter. And there was a little ad, CAD designers wanted. Computer screen right here. I think I could do this. I went up to Central Oregon Community College. I bought a textbook on AutoCAD. I didn't have a computer, so I had to memorize keystrokes without a computer. And I'm looking through the book going, I think I can do this. And I asked to have access to the computer area, and at night I would practice. And then I took the scary step of approaching the head of engineering and saying, I, I want that job. Goes, oh, we already gave it away. We got a college student that has full training for it. I can do it better. See, <laughs> just because you're humble and just because you're nice doesn't mean you're not tenacious. I felt like God had spoken to me. I wasn't mean about it. I wasn't arrogant. I just said, I think I can do it better. I said, How do you think you can do it better? Because I work with the guys that are going to get the prints, and I know what they want. She has no clue what they want. I know the end result. She only knows the program. Man, I stumbled my way through. He actually put me in competition with this girl for a month. And you know what? I knew what they wanted. Next thing I know our whole office decides to change to CAD. I had learned 3D in my evenings. 3D had just come out in CAD. It was all like 2D. But I got the beta version of AutoCAD and I learned 3D in my private time and I put Beaver Coach Marquee together in 3D. You could take this 40-foot coach and spin it around. You could go inside and look at the cabinets. It, it was revolutionary. And I asked for a meeting with the president of the company, not the head of engineering. I went over his head. And I said, John, I, I, I need to meet with you. And he's like, whatever. I showed him a drawing of this 3D, and he's like, what? We can do that? I said, yeah, you just cut a section, and then all the drawings and all the measurements just show up. And then if you grab the left side and flip it over, it mirrors, and you don't have to redraw it because everything just appears. We'll save so much time. The next thing I know, he puts me over all the CAD designers. I'm a 25-year-old kid. 24, puts me over all the CAD designers, and all of a sudden, they were the most expensive motor coaches in America. My blindness led me into something I would have never entered into. I would have never have known I was good at it. I grew up playing Legos. I love Legos, and I could build stuff. I'd build towers to the top of my bedroom ceiling. I loved, I didn't know I could be good at that, and God literally, trust me, I remember just, knowing that I could trust him. But then you know what God did? 
I was in ministry. I was in, I was leading worship. I was, I had got these really thick sun, these glasses and they were so ugly. Oh my goodness. I see pictures of myself. I'm like, oh God, what is this? What is this? But I could kind of see just a little bit better and it led me to be able to start doing chord charts for my church and I started growing in worship and they actually would start me on a path to get licensed as a pastor. So I'm blessed in cat, I'm blessed as a pastor. And then I remember the day God showed up into my room and said, your uncle Wendell's about to do something and whatever he does, go join him. I looked up to heaven and said, details please. Details, nothing. Within one week, my Aunt Jeannie called. Hi Jay. I don't know if you heard, I started a church in Seattle. Love for you to come help with worship. We don't have any money. Love to be on the team. Her sentence, was, sentence wasn't over and I knew I was going. I was quitting my job, quitting this opportunity with the church. I didn't know what I was gonna do up in Seattle. They don't have motorhomes. But I know that voice. You see, why am I telling this whole story? I'm about to get to something in this story that's local here, so I'm going somewhere. You see, when God speaks, this is crazy, the harder it is to say yes, the bigger the miracle is on the other side. Can he trust you with obstacles, or does he have to give you an easy life for you to trust him? What kind of miracle are you looking for? Peter walked on water. The other boys were mocking him for sinking. I'm just glad he got out and started trying. So, <laughs> I remember the day I'm in the, the University of Washington Library. Remember when we used to look for jobs in the one ads? These things called newspapers? Remember those? And I'm looking through the one ads for anything related to CAD. And I found a bunch with yachts. And so I started going and trying to get a job with yachts. And they laughed me out of their offices. Little tiny yacht manufacturers with little tiny yachts going, you have no experience. You don't even know what starboard and port and I still don't know what all they are. And uh, nothing. And then I remember on the one ad seeing a job to build cabinets on a yacht. And I'm like, God, I don't want to cut my fingers off. But that still small voice said, it's going to be okay, Go. It's a really good paying job. I showed up for the interview, and guess what? They didn't use power tools. Everything was cut for you. You, you. you gave them an order, and they brought it to you. I didn't have to be around those machines. It was all fine work, things that I could do right here. No power tools. Took the job, and it was like for a $13 million yacht. I'm building the crew quarters. I'm back to woodworking. Now, mind you, I quit a really good job. And even, even the ability to have ministry right now. But God said, no, go help your Uncle Wendell. So I'm in the crew quarters working away. And one day the boss comes and says, hey, I want to meet with you. Okay, okay, okay. Um, got a new job for you. Okay, right. You're going to build the master bathroom. Oh, cool. That's going to be cool. Who am I working with? You're doing it on your own. What? Like the master bathroom of a $13 million yacht and you want me to build it. Yeah, every piece of granite, every piece of wood, everything. You're building it. Okay, I'll do it. And I'm like, why did I say that? What am I doing? I learned a principle in that job that I want to share with you. We have to honor those that went before us. You see, one thing I did is I made friends with all the older craftsmen. And I'd humble myself and go, 
I don't have a clue how to do this. Could you show me how to use the this or that? And they love to teach. Some of these old guys, they love to mentor. And so I got mentored by the best. And six months later, this master bathroom was done. My job was over. Okay, what do I do now, God? I'm not going to tell you the whole rest of the story because it would take too long. Within one month and after a lot of tenacity, I was hired by the top yacht designer in the world. His name is Glade Johnson. There are four yachts in the top 20 yachts ever built. These are 300-foot, four-deck mega yachts. He designed Bill Clinton's Air Force One. He's one of the original designers of the Mustang car. He's a world-renowned designer. I ended up beginning to work for him. I was his only CAD designer. Everybody else was by hand. And what I brought into his office revolutionized his office, and he put me over his designers. And I began to design the greatest yachts of the world. I went blind, and I ended up in this office, and I'd go to work. Donald Trump Princess was the first boat I ever saw that they did up on the wall. King of Saudi Arabia, Dennis Washington, if you know the, billion, the, the billionaire in Missoula, Montana. We did two boats for him, a train line, and his interior of his helicopter. And I remember those days going, God, how did I get here? Oh, trust. Trust. And there was a day he had me quit that job, and that's a whole other story. But here's one thing I learned about my eyes. So my eyes were, it was a struggle. I'm going to give you a spiritual principle that I learned. Whenever I would cry, the tears would cover the lens of my cornea, and I could see. Whenever I cried, I could see. I literally wanted to be the weeping prophet. I wanted to cry all the time because I'd get these little windows where I could see. And later in my life, God says, you're better when you cry. And I want to hand this to you, that your spiritual lenses are deformed as mine were in the natural and when the compassion of God comes into your heart, when the compassion of God comes into your life, and all of a sudden, what Jesus had, he wept over Jerusalem because there were sheep without a shepherd. Jesus wept over the grave of Lazarus because he loved him. It is compassion that will revolutionize our world. It's compassion that will lead us in prayer. It's compassion that will literally transform you from your life of sin into a life of righteousness because you care about others more than yourself. Some of you love your sin more than you love other people. And God's got to break your heart. I moved here to Boise, and I remember driving down Eagle. I actually got some hard contacts in Eagle that gave me about half my sight back. Do you remember that? On Eagle Road, I got my eagle eyes. Got half my sight back. Years later, I got a surgery. I actually see great now. I see better than some of my kids. And for me, that's a miracle. But I tell you that whole story to say, trust God, and you see better when you cry. There is a level of compassion that I believe God wants to bring to the American church that, that we've lost. When I was an early, um, I don't like using the word evangelist because it sounds so much like a, uh, an occupation, just messenger. When I was an early messenger telling crowds of people about Jesus, I remember one time I was, there was going to be 850 young people, and I was kind of scared, to be honest. And I remember God saying, think about them like I think about them, you'll be fine. 
And I got, under, there was a, it was in a high school auditorium, 800 kids, Lapine High School. And I got under the bleachers, underneath them, and I knelt down. And I said, God, would you give me your heart? The Holy Spirit poured out. I started weeping, weeping, weeping. I have no clue what I said that night. The pine got lit on fire. The next Sunday, 220 young people joined the church. Youth groups were 12 kids were going to youth group and 220 the next Sunday, and it grew from there. One of those youth pastors is now the senior pastor of one of the large churches there, and they still have leaders in that church that were saved in that moment. A moment not of bravado, but a moment of compassion. I was going to talk about prophetic worship, and I am now. I'm going to segue into it. Prophetic worship. The presence of Jesus is the only thing I know that tunes my heart to what it should be. Reading the word is good. Prayer is good. But there's something about worship that brings me close to Jesus and where I start to become like him. If you were in the first service, I defined the word prophecy or prophetic as just hearing God's voice. And we've overcomplicated, we've made it religious. And I wanna say to you that God has created you prophetic, Joel chapter two, in the last days, my sons and daughters will prophesy, that's all of us. But it's not a weird religious word, it's a word that basically means you're gonna hear from God. And what you hear, you're gonna tell others. And we're all called to be conduits of the voice of God. You're called to be a conduit. My sheep know my voice, that's prophecy. Let's not make it weird. It's normal. It's supposed to be normal. That same office when I was working for the yachts, I can't tell you how many times that I would ask for opportunities to share my faith. I remember this one time. This is crazy. It was my birthday. I got on my knees and said, God, please give me a chance to share my faith. I want them to know about you. And I got to work and they threw me a birthday party and we were in the conference room and we ate some birthday cake and then my boss looks across the table at me and goes, hey, Jay, is there anything you want to tell us on your birthday? Yeah. Yeah. I want, you to tell, I want to tell you about my best friend. His name is Jesus. The same peace that I walk in, the same hope that I walk in you could have for you. Three of those ten received Jesus while I was there. Not all of them, but three of them did. God wants to give his church his presence. I want to read a scripture from uh, John chapter 4. This is not something I've read in the other services, but John chapter 4 is this beautiful moment where God intersects a woman at a well. I didn't know that you guys were talking about wells so much, so this will go well. Did you catch that? All the dads in the room caught it. All right. Stephen, I did good. It's my first dad joke in three services. I did good. I held off. I held off. Jesus is sitting by the woman at the well, and I want, I want you to put yourself in, in Jesus' spot. You see, Jesus is in heaven, right? How in the world will people on this earth hear from him or touch him? Through us, right? There, a well represents an, an ordinary place where people got water. This was like a a meeting area that people would meet at. And Jesus met this woman at the well. God wants you in your normal everyday life to have conversations with people at their well. 
where they're going for food, where they're going for coffee. I think Starbucks is a well. And in his normal, everyday life, he sits by this well, begins to have this conversation with the woman. It's such a beautiful conversation, and he gets to this part. Verse 21, he says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is speaking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It's a shame when you leave spiritual duties to the people on staff at the church because you were created to live in spirit. The song that we sang about filled the temple, you're that temple. You're that house that God wants to fill with his spirit. You are actually a mobile container of God's anointing, ready for miracles everywhere you go. Salvations, healings, why don't we see more? As your faith, so be it unto you. I'm here to remind you that in the same way that Jesus ministered to this woman, God's anointed you. He said, those that worship must worship me in spirit and in truth. These two words are really important. The word spirit is the word wind, and the word truth is to be nothing concealed, nothing hidden. It's literally saying, you have to worship me in my presence, the wind, and you can't conceal anything from me. You've got to come and say, God, you can have everything. I'm not reserving anything for me. Those that worship must worship him in spirit and in truth. And such are those that worship me. There's a generation that's rising up right now. And these other services, just seeing many young adults and young people in this house made me so stinking happy. Because there's a generation rising up that's going to learn how to worship in spirit and in truth. And they're going to learn to live in the presence of God. And as you live in the presence of God, in his presence is his voice. In fact, I don't find places in the Bible where you can find his voice without his presence. The word presence in the Old Testament means face. Uh, we mistranslate it. It actually should be translated face. It literally says they were in the face of God, not the presence, the face of God. It literally means that as I came to a friend, I literally come face to face with God. What a crazy thing that I can come face to face with God. Worship in spirit and truth, coming face to face with God. Supernatural. Those that worship must worship him in spirit and in truth. There's a scripture in the, in the same passage that talks about that the spirit is like the wind. You don't know where he's coming. You don't know where he's going. I was with the worship team yesterday. And we were talking about how the Holy Spirit moves in a meeting. And I didn't use this analogy there, so I want to use it with you. I found that my relationship with the Holy Spirit is like a river. Anybody, anybody gone river rafting? You know how you get that real straight stretch and it's just all calm and nice? You can have conversations with your friends, kind of hang out, eat some, not, eat some chips and just kind of hang out. But then you come around a corner, you don't know what's there. And I found with the Holy Spirit, sometimes there's waterfalls and there's rapids and there's tight curves and then there's straight stretches and I never know what's up ahead. And so that's where I got to learn to trust him and I got to learn to follow him. I want to relate that to worship. 
Some of the best worship services I've ever been to, you didn't know what was coming next. Right, Mark? You just don't know what's coming next. It's like you think the Holy Spirit's going here, and then you turn the corner, and there's a waterfall. You're like, woo! I don't want to go to church that's predictable. I don't want to live a life that's predictable. I learned another principle. Do you know why God allows us to go through tough stuff? He did it with Jesus, right, the cross. He did it with Job. Why does God allow us to go through tough stuff? He might be setting up the devil for a miracle for you. The devil thought he won at the cross. The devil thought he beat Jesus. The devil was in hell gloating. And you know he does that for you? There's times in your life where it looks like things are going haywire. It looks like things have turned around. It looks like something's happened to you physically, and now the devil has won. But God always gets the last word, and he might be setting you up for a miracle. The reason I told you that story is what I learned about God is what I thought was the enemy winning was actually God setting me up for prominence and for miracles. Some of those same billionaires are now giving into the kingdom that I work for. Some of that money is now being used for evangelism. I don't, I don't, I don't mind meeting with billionaires because I did it when I was young and all of a sudden now I'm doing that for the kingdom. I met with five billionaires in the last month for the purpose of giving to the kingdom, not giving to some yacht that's gonna be a toy on some water. Who cares about that? When God told me to quit that job, I said, good riddance. I don't want to build toys for rich people anymore. I want to go build the kingdom. I want to go build the house of God. I want to move to Boise, Idaho, because that's where I came. I want to move to Boise, Idaho. I want to join Capital Church, and I want to go serve my Jesus. I want to make sure that a generation hears about him. God's doing something fresh in your church. We talked about this, and I want to end with this. In the last service, I was just saying, and I feel like this is a prophetic word for you, both personally and as a church, and the last days are going to be like the days of Noah. Be like the days of Noah. And I had the Holy Spirit just prompt me to go read Noah, but through different eyes. You know, when you read the Old Testament, you have to put on different glasses. There's a principle in the Bible about first the natural, then the spiritual. So today, we don't war against flesh and blood, right? What do we war against? Principalities and powers, right? But in the Old Testament, they had physical battles. Why? To teach us how to war. So there's these practical things in the Old Testament that teach us how to live in the new. And I felt God say, now put on your spiritual glasses and read it again. And when I got to the verse that said, and after so much time, it says that the wells or the floodgates of the deep broke open and the windows of heaven broke open and water was coming up and water was coming down. And God spoke to me in the last days, it will not be an outpouring of destruction. It'll be an outpouring of the presence of God. It'll be wells of what God did in the past, past revivals. Amy Semple McPherson, Azusa Street, the healing movement, the Jesus people movement. I live in those neighborhoods right now. I can't tell you how many times I stand in front of Bonnie Bray Street where Azusa actually started. And I stand in front of that house and I say, God, do it again. Do it again. And then I go to Azusa Street and I stand on the bricks and I go, do it again. And I go to Amy Semple McPherson's Angeles Temple and I say, God, do it again. And then I, then I go find where the Jesus people are and I met a bunch of Keith Green's small group people. They're a bunch of crazy hippies meeting Jesus. And I'm like, God, do that again too. But there's also some new things he's never done. That's the windows of heaven. 
Wells and windows. Can you say wells and windows? I think tonight, Pastor Ken, we should pray for some wells and then switch and pray for some windows and literally say, God, I honor the past and I'm excited for the future. God, we thank you for what you've done and we want to learn from it. We want to feed from it. We want to walk in that. I still walk in the anointing that I received while in this church. I will always be grateful for Capital Church because I received an anointing on these floors and on this area where the grand piano was. I received an anointing here that I still have, but I had to caretake that anointing. I had to treat it precious. I had to go back to God and say, God, I know you're not moving in the church quite like you used to, but, but I want you in my bedroom like that. And then I want to begin to believe, God, there is a generation that doesn't know you. They've never encountered you. Father, here's one of the things I'm praying. I'm praying that God gives the church anointing to go through airwaves on TikTok and Instagram and other places and actually sneak into bedrooms through technology and reach young people. So I've been praying this for about five years. So I have a friend named Brian Barcelona. He runs Jesus Clubs in L.A. They had 15,000 kids come to their Jesus Clubs in L.A., revolutionizing the high schools. In fact, had a Jesus Club in Franklin High School where literally Planned Parenthood had started right there if you know what that is. Well, COVID shut their whole operation down. They have no clubs. He has 54 missionaries that were going into schools, and they have nothing to do. They can't go into schools. God, what do we do? So he met with some young people and said, if you were me, what would you do? And they said, get on TikTok. TikTok. Why? So they took a step of faith. They have about 18 missionaries online Ten of them have over 300,000 followers. They've had 150 million views of their content. They have live services on TikTok and Instagram where they average uh, two guys, and one of them I used, two of them I used to mentor, actually. One of them, who has 260,000 followers, his average service in the evening, 1,500 young people come on to watch it. And it's straight Bible, it's prayer, it's healing. Some of the influencers on TikTok and Instagram are getting saved, and they're turning their whole post into posting about Jesus. One of them had a documented healing from a doctor, 18 million followers, just this kid. And so he showed all of his followers his, his documented healing and began to preach the gospel. And so they're going to do, they have, it's called One Voice Student Missions. They're going to do another conference. And this time, only young people are going to preach. The young people that got saved. There are things God's doing now we've never seen before, we've never done before. It's time for us to believe for the windows of heaven to open. Things we've never seen, things we've never experienced. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray for that together. Jesus, I thank you that you're doing a new thing on the earth and now it springs forth. We thank you that wells are opening up. God, past things that you've done, but there's also new things that are coming. We thank you, God, there are fresh outpourings. And God, I thank you for this service. I thank you that those that came to this service, God, are receiving a fresh impartation from you, an impartation of faith, an impartation, oh God, of your anointing, oh God. God, we thank you for all that you're doing. We did this in the other services, and I want to do it now. If you feel like your fire for Jesus has waned, like you can remember days where you had journal entries of what God spoke to you, and you had encounters with God, and your prayer life was more on fire, and you want to return to your first love. I feel there's an anointing this weekend for people to return to their first love. I also want to add to that, maybe you don't even know Jesus and you're here in this service, and you would like to receive them today. I just want everyone to close their eyes. And if you want God to ignite the fire in you, or you want to 
give your life fully to Jesus, I just want you to raise your hand and say, God, I want my fire back. I want my passion back. Thank you. I want my passion back. God, I want to burn for you. To be honest, if I was down with you, I'd have my hands up because I just respond to all these things. I just want more of him. I want more of him. God, I thank you for those with their hands up. I thank you, Lord, for those that are saying yes to Jesus for the first time and those that are saying, God, I want to be on fire for you. And Lord, right now we pray that you would restore anything that was stolen from them. God, help them to caretake the fire in their soul, the fire in their spirit. Help them to learn to stoke the fire, putting logs of worship, logs of your word, and logs of prayer on the fire of their heart, God, so that fire can continue to burn. Just pray this with me in case there's people here receiving Jesus. Jesus, I receive you. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to live for you passionately. I want to live with everything in me, God. Forgive me for any omissions. Forgive me for any sins, God, that have separated me from you. Now cleanse me, fill me, and use me. Cleanse me, fill me, and use me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.